Hey, St. Paul, welcome to episode 14 on our study of the Holy Spirit. I'm with Emily Trotter. Emily, thank you so much. When I say episode 14, a little smile comes on your face. Uh, I don't know if we actually uh, thought we'd go this far, but there is so much more as we study the scriptures about the Holy Spirit. There's just so much more in there that for years I've overlooked. Absolutely. And Every time you say the number, I do get a little giddy about it because it's like, oh my gosh, we're still doing this. <laughs> I can't believe they're letting me do this. <laughs> I got to tell you, I have so much fun. Uh, mainly, mainly, it's that laugh that you have. I love that laugh of yours, and it's it's so infectious. Oh, that's very kind. Uh, it is very kind. Thank you. That, now, that's my one kind thing for the day, right? Ha <laughs> ha, I got it. <laughs> So today we're going to jump into the Old Testament, and uh, we're going to look at a passage from Ezekiel. Ezekiel 37 has a special moment for Ezekiel. Tell us a little bit about what happens in this passage, Emily. Well, and I I would also say that leading up to this point in Ezekiel, <laughs> you know, Ezekiel, the first, I mean, over... Over half of this book is Ezekiel going, you people messed up because the Israelites had been conquered by Nebuchadnezzar. They had been, you know, rounded up and some were exiled into Babylon and some stayed behind. And, you know, there had been lots of loss of life and you know, Jerusalem was destroyed. The temple was destroyed. So it was a mess. And the Israelites were not happy. They were not, of course, they were not content with where they were and how they had ended up. And And Ezekiel spends the first 32 chapters or so saying, you people, we told you, you got to turn back. You got to come back to God. You got to come on. Let's go back. You've made a mistake. You've been rebellious. You've had idols. You've all these things. And then all of a sudden, he switches gear and hope comes in. And so in 37, he and the Lord are talking, and they come to this valley, and I, I read a commentary about it that it was like, you know, as as God is telling Ezekiel, you know, take a look around here, Ezekiel just goes, oh my gosh, I'm standing in a bunch, well, I don't know that this is what Ezekiel says, but in my mind, if I was Ezekiel, I would be saying, oh my gosh, I'm standing around a bunch of bones. These aren't sticks or rocks. This is a pile of bones sitting here. So um, this interaction that Ezekiel has with the Lord and what the Lord asks him to do and that Ezekiel does it, um, even though he says, you know, yeah, what do you? You know, when the Lord <laughs> says, hey, Ezekiel, I want you to speak to these dry bones and tell them to get up and come alive. And do you think that can happen? And and Ezekiel's response is, oh, God, do you? <laughs> <laughs> A good response. It, I am so encouraged by Ezekiel here. You know, I, I, you know, he's pulling over this idea that, uh, you know, God, if you do, I do. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. He's totally like, I don't, but without saying, I, yeah, or no, he's like, oh, God, do you? <laughs> <laughs> You know, what's interesting about this is that verse one says the hand of the Lord was upon me and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and he set me down in the middle of the valley and it was full of bones. Yeah. 
the connection of the Spirit of God actually leading Ezekiel to this place. I, you know, I think I would have preferred if I was Ezekiel, that the spirit of Lord would have led me to a place where the Babylonians were defeated. Yeah. Led me to a place where I saw some victory led me to a place where these stiff necked people would listen to me or, you know, maybe there's going to be a Bible study here or a study that God is going to give me. But it's interesting that he brings Ezekiel to this place of dry bones I mean, the context, the implications of that are mind-boggling. Yeah, because what can you do with a pile of bones to our minds? Well, our minds jump to a very definitive, catastrophic thing. They're, well, that's the end of that. Yeah. that That's done. Yeah. Well, because, I mean, as we see, you know, in the New Testament, when Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, it's not... I mean, Lazarus hadn't been dead. I mean, he he was dead, but he hadn't been dead that long. So, I mean, it wasn't complete decay and, you know, Jesus had something to work with there. So it wasn't like a pile of bones laying there. And so to think of, well, okay, sure, Jesus can raise Lazarus because he's, um, you know, the movie The Princess Bride? I love that movie. Oh, my gosh. It's when he they bring Wesley to Miracle Max at the end, and he says he's mostly dead. <laughs> Lord, forgive me for making it seem like you're Miracle Max, but you know Lazarus was mostly dead. Wasn't that Billy Crystal? <laughs> yes. Okay, just making sure. You've not seen that movie, you guys. It's it's a classic. Must. It it's is a, a classic. must. Um, but. You know, he's mostly dead. Lazarus is mostly dead. He's got some things to work. You you can work with that. You can work with the flesh and the, the things that are still there. This valley full of dry bones, is, you know, you're dead. <laughs> it's over. The bones aren't even, they're, they're dry. They're not just bones. They're dry. They're brittle. There's, they're gone. Everything's evaporated, soaked out, been picked on. I mean, imagine, too, in a valley of dry bones, the animals and the creatures that had been down and in and amongst them as well. I mean, it just is a very, oh gosh, just a whole, I would have been freaked out if I had been Ezekiel. (laughs) But at the same time, if there was any hint of possibility in that valley where the the spirit of the Lord took him, uh, there might've been some, inner hope, well, I can make this work or I can fix this. Yeah. I mean, it's got to be an image or some connection to what all the people, not only Ezekiel, all the people of Israel were feeling at that time. Yeah. This is it. We're in Babylon. The Babylonian sun is is beating down and bleaching our bones. I feel like we are bones in the valley where Ezekiel found uh, found himself at this time. Yeah. That there's no way out, no way out. And isn't it amazing how God brings us to a point of impossibility to show us that it is possible. That's right. I mean, think of all the things that we have in our lives said, man, this is impossible. This yeah. will never happen. Yeah. So-and-so will never come to the Lord. This will never work out for God's glory or anything else. It's God, you might as well just give up. Yeah, this is beyond even what you could do. And that's where Ezekiel 
finds himself today. He talked about Ezekiel referring to the obstinate and stubborn people of his day. Yeah. The Old Testament in Exodus, right after that golden calf episode where Moses comes down, God calls the people stiff-necked. Yeah. Stiff-necked. Stephen actually uses that in his speech in Acts 16 or Acts 6 and 7 where he calls the people, the Pharisees, the religious leaders stiff-necked. Now we might be able to say, yeah, the people in Exodus, they were stiff-necked, but how many times will we go to, man, these people over here, they're not stiff-necked, they are the religious leaders. They're the people with all the answers. They've done everything right. They've, you know, but here's Stephen saying, you stiff-necked people. And I actually came across that the other day, and I was like thinking, man, where did that come from, that idiom, stiff-necked? Yeah. And it, it, it actually comes from farming or agriculture. When an ox actually becomes stiff-necked, it is hard to put a yoke on that ox and control what you want it to do. Uh-huh. And so what's interesting here is... When God says you're stiff-necked, it is, man, you are insensitive to what I want to do. Wow. You're insensitive to, you just can't even grasp a glimpse of all that I want to do. And here is Ezekiel. Well, and the whole, you know, God had been with them so much. They had seen miracles. They had seen him move. They had seen the walls of Jericho come tumbling down. They had seen, you know, them being able to defeat armies that they shouldn't have been able to defeat. They had been through all of that. But as their humanness and time, they got comfortable, they got content. They were like, well, we've done what God said we would do. Now we can, you know, we have our land here. We're all doing great. Now we can kind of relax. And and they got lazy. And so, and God let them just wander a little bit, not like they did in the desert, but they were allowed to make their own decisions and go their own way and get in a mess. And, you know, at the end of, I was looking at Lamentations, because um, it's right next to Ezekiel, so I just happened to glance over at the page, <laughs> not that I was being very studious, but... At the end of Lamentations in five twenty, and Jeremiah is saying, "Why do you always forget us? Why do you forsake us so long? Restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may return, renew our days of old. Unless you have utterly rejected us and are angry with us beyond measure." I mean, they're oh, you leave us, you've forgotten us, you've left us, and they don't. And I can, I can say they, but I should say we. We forget that we've done the things that have caused us to be in the states that we're in. I read a quote um, about a year ago from somewhere online, and I wrote it down because it was so good. But it says, we can't be mad at the consequences of our own sin, yet we're always surprised. Um, And it went on to say, it must be acknowledged that God has the right to judge sinful people at any time. There can be no objection that this is unjust because we forfeit all claim to the positive aspects of God's justice the first time we sin. Yet, just like the Israelites, 
who were clearly, oh, you forgot us. Why is this happening? We want to blame somebody else. We want to say God has forgotten us. We want to say all of those things without ever acknowledging our own part in it. And, you know, in Ezekiel 36, it says, you know, that God says, you know, you have a heart of stone, and I'm going to give you a heart of flesh, and you're going to have a spirit that comes along and helps you follow my commandments and my statutes. You're going to, I'm going to make this better um, because we are so obstinate and stiff-necked. And I read something, and it may have been referring to something else, but it's, it's like a copper, like we're covered, like our foreheads are like copper and hard and because that bone in your forehead is really strong and really hard. I guess that's where the term hard-headed comes from. But it's hard sometimes for us to get things when we become, you know, convinced that we're doing it right. So how, why why do you think we prefer to stay in this state of what have you done for me lately, God, <laughs> mode? <laughs> that when things come wrong and and things kind of fall apart and crumble, we complain and we go to a place where, okay, God, what have you done for me lately? Here again, we're stiff-necked, obstinate hard-headed people. And we it's easy for us to look at the Israelites and say, my word, you people, he took you out of captivity in Egypt. He split the Red Sea. You all crossed on dry ground. And as the Egyptians came, <laughs> they were swallowed up. You saw that. You saw Jericho. You entered into this promised land. Even before that, you were fed. He sent manna from heaven. He took care of you. He led you visibly, you know, with the column of fire and the column of smoke. I mean, there was God with you. He told you what was going to happen, and lo and behold, that's what happened. He, the things that he had promised you came, came to be. And it's easy for us to say, God, how did y'all get off track? But, I mean, it's the same for us. Well, yeah. I mean, we come to these valleys of dry bones, okay? Yeah. And and and. Well, let me, I'll describe what I think these are in, in a moment, but we come to these valleys of, of dry bones. And the question God asks us is, what do you see? Do we see catastrophe, impossibility, or do we see God able to do something in those moments? I mean, you, yeah. if you think about the world around us, there is so much, and this is from Eugene Peterson's book, Working the Angles. There is so much wreckage around us, and he lists some, the wrecked bodies, the wrecked marriages, the wrecked careers, wrecked plans, wrecked families, wrecked alliances, friendships, prosperities, and we avert our eyes, and we try not to dwell on it, and we kind of, as he calls it, whistle in the dark, and we wake up in the morning hoping that health and love and justice and success and we build a quick mental and emotional defense against the inrush of bad news around us. And it's almost like when we don't, we don't embrace where we are right now in the context of where we have been and where we are going, surrounded by this, what God says about himself and what God promises to do. If we don't surround ourselves in those moments, then we become these people who no more than just puts plastic flowers on crises 
it, it's really no good. We have the opportunity to make good news, to not make good news, but share that good news. Yeah. I mean, most people looking at a valley of dry bones will come to this conclusion that Ezekiel had. What do you see? And we say, well, God, I mean, whatever you think could happen, I'm <laughs> But at on least board. Ezekiel could say, whatever you think, God, whereas I might have gone, this is a mess. This is a bunch of death and destruction laying around here. I don't know what you're going to do with this, Lord. At least Ezekiel was smart enough to say, <laughs> yeah, but, I, I don't know, what can you do? <laughs> yeah, but God's right there by his side. But in, okay, in our, okay. Thank you yeah. for giving. Thank you. Thank you for that. <laughs> Obviously, we know what happens in that valley. Um, God says, speak life into them. We just got to stop for a, a second and say, okay, God, this is not just a show you're putting on. Why can't, why didn't you say, watch me do this? Yeah. Well, it goes back to that truth, that undercurrent from our study from the beginning, that there is this invitation that God gives us today through his Holy Spirit that gives us this opportunity to participate in what God is doing. Right. Not usurp what God is doing. I mean, look, just time out for one second. If we don't have the Holy, if we don't embrace the Holy Spirit in our lives, then all we have is a God of history, a legend. Yeah. That's, that's all we have. We have something that happened in the past. Creation, sure, it happened. The birth of Christ, yeah, died on the cross. Mm-hmm. But we look at it from a 2000 and even more a time span difference. But the Holy Spirit is the here and now the comforter, the parakletos, yeah. that will be the one who walks alongside of us. And that is the reminder that God is with us now. The importance of embracing the Holy Spirit is not to get us to a point where we are scared and fearful and say, well, what if I start speaking in tongues or something? God you know? forbid. Yeah, you know, what if I raise my hands at worship and I feel uh, something different? Now, you know, C.S. Lewis is quick to say, look, it, it's not the feeling, all right? The gift is the Holy Spirit, whether you feel like it or not, okay? <laughs> Don't get messed up. Feelings are just impulses of nerves, okay? The gift, don't don't miss what he says is the gift is the Holy Spirit. And that's what we have today. Yeah. I heard a quote um, from Christine Kane that said, I don't want to be where God was, but where God is. And that's like you talking about, we have the historical idea of God and who he is and creation and Christ and resurrection and all of those things. I, we And it, it, may, it reminded me of the the disciples, um, as they're sitting there post-resurrection, but before, or even as Jesus comes back to them and says, all right, now I'm leaving, but I'm going to bring here. I mean, how easy would it have been to have lived into those moments of when God was there, when Jesus was there, and not to have moved on and say, but Jesus is here as well. The Spirit is here Let's go be here instead of living in the past. Yeah, I, I imagine this campfire time, and they're saying, hey, you remember when? Yeah. You remember when? <laughs> Wasn't that great? Yeah, but Emily, isn't that what worship a lot of times have found itself coming to when church gathers? It's always about remember when. Yeah. The songs are about the remember when. Yeah. 
The messages are sometimes about the remember when. We need this infusion, this influx, this breath this of life. Breath of life that brings us to a place where we say, okay, I remember when, but now what's next? Yeah. Well, Jesus rose from the grave. Yeah. And and we can say Jesus rose from the grave, you know, after three days he rose. Or we can say Jesus rose from the grave and is alive now. We can change it like that. About eight years ago, I was in Ukraine and it was during the Christmas season and I am finishing up my ordination paperwork for uh, ordination in our denomination. One of the questions was centered around what is the significance of the sacraments? And I had a friend of mine who was reading my work and checking and making sure. I sent him a couple drafts of it. You know, we have two sacraments, baptism and uh, communion, the Lord's Supper. And on the Lord's Supper, he kept on sending it back saying, you're not getting it. You're not getting it. You're not getting it. And then finally, in in frustration, I said, okay, I know you're not going to tell me what to say, but can you point me in the right direction? And he said, okay, go and read the liturgy that we say before um, communion. We call it the Great Thanksgiving. And then there it is, right in the middle. It's the mystery of our faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. And he said, pay attention to the verb tenses. It doesn't say Christ has died and Christ was risen. It's Christ is is risen. And so even from that moment, it was this influx of that's significant. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. That's a big deal. One little predicate. Yeah. And the tense of that predicate. I mean, that is significant. Yeah. What a wonderful reminder. And that is it. I mean, it's not, as you were saying, it's not that Christ rose from the dead, but Christ is is risen. Yeah. And when we get to where we say it by, you know, by rote, Christ was born, Christ is di- has died, Christ is risen. And we just say it. And we don't think about what it actually means. It becomes so, uh, just like saying the Lord's Prayer. You know, our Father who, I mean, there's no joy <laughs> when we all, when, you know, when you all, wherever you are. Um, you know, it's funny to me that, you know, our, my boys go to a Catholic high school and after every football game, you know, well, I mean, there are myriads of prayers for everything, but it's always, you know, after the football game when they join on the middle of the field and before COVID, you know, parents and and all the guests could come and, and go with them. Now we have to stand back and watch from afar. But to hear these boys say the Lord's Prayer, and, and, and I, <laughs> I appreciate what the gesture is. But to hear these boys saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. I mean, it's just so, you know, and I thought no one is paying any attention to the words that are coming out of their mouth. This is their post-game thing that they do, and here you go. Um, but we get that way. We just say stuff. Oh, yeah, I believe that. Uh-huh. And move on. That is the temptation of all of us to live with 
blinders that all we can see is the immediate past, the immediate future, and the present. And if our idea of God is more of a legend than a reality today, it's something in the past, then our scope, our boundaries, our self-made boundaries of the immediate past, immediate future, and the present, by default, doesn't invite God into that moment. No. And we find ourselves in those places of dry bones saying, okay, God, um, I guess you could. Yeah. I guess it could happen. Yeah. We go through valleys of dry bones all the time. Yeah. Wreckage all around us. We write prayers in our journals about wreckage. We read newspaper articles and headlines about wreckage. And I think, I think what we say is, okay, we believe God can do something, but we don't see it as a reality. Yeah, God can do something, but well, he probably won't. Well, which is what we talked about, you know, when Carlos Whitaker was here, and we've mentioned it since about the prayers and I'm just going to cast this wide net because if I get real specific with my prayers, I'm going to have a greater, you know, there'll be a greater, um, what's the word I'm looking for? A greater. Um, if we become specific, then that's going to shatter our faith possibly that God didn't answer my prayer the way he went. Well, it'll be more obvious when he doesn't answer, I guess, is my yeah. point. Yes. <laughs> you open yourself up to that. Oh, there's a greater chance that this isn't going to happen. Because don't we err on the side of... Caution? Yeah. <laughs> yes, and, we and do. A, mm, I'm going to give God maybe a 25% chance that this will work. And I think the older generations 75. actually believe of erring in, you know, on caution. My children don't. Katie, no. Katie our seven-year-old, runs 100% into unknown danger. <laughs> Just 110%. <laughs> In unknown danger. Well, and as parents, we go, oh my gosh, that's terrible. But if you look at it, you go, yes, Katie, get it. You go, girl. <laughs> you head that's right a, into that. <laughs> look exactly. in that forward lane and see what you're supposed to do. Yes. <laughs> you see, what's different is um, for Christians, we, what God is doing here in Ezekiel and saying, okay, Ezekiel, prophesy. Say it is so. Yeah. I bet you there was a, a double take. Oh, okay. Me? <laughs> Do what? <laughs> Nobody else is around here. I guess it's me. Am, am I hearing God right? Yeah. But however, God brought him to a place where there was no one to hear him. That's exactly <laughs> so right. It's like, you might as well. Ezekiel. And nobody had been listening to Ezekiel yeah. all the way through yeah. anyways. No, no one was paying attention to him at all. But what gets me about this passage is... When he speaks and they come alive, it's not just a bunch of dry bones rattling around. It's sinew and muscle and all the tendons and all of that as well with skin. It's not like a cartoon that we've seen. You know, in my mind, I can see these bones getting up and dancing around in this skeleton where nothing is, con you know, where nothing is connected and it's kind of rattling and kind of spooky and whatnot. But these, it was when he said, let's go, come on dry bones, human, 
human beings were created, not just dancing skeletons. And the, gosh, the detail in that, in that moment, gosh, that blows my mind. Instead of, I mean, the idea of dry bones coming alive is one thing, but to add in the layer of, you know, these are like people Mm. with all of their human things coming. Their flesh is coming as well. I I wonder if Jeremiah, or rather Ezekiel is standing there and he's, you know, okay, God said prophesy that that they will come alive. Mm -hmm. And Josh was like, or (laughs) there Joshua again. Uh, Ezekiel is saying, mm, okay, but I don't think, I mean, and a lot of us, I mean, in our, in our Christian walk, we tend to find, and I'll speak for myself, I tend to find myself gravitating towards the side of, okay, I believe, but I don't see it happening. Yeah, I believe, you know, I find myself being like the man in Mark's gospel who says, okay, God, I, uh, Jesus, I believe, help me overcome my unbelief. Right. I mean, I want to, I want to believe, and this was very therapeutic, the very medicinal in a spiritual sense when it came to what Ezekiel needed to see at that time, that he could go back and and say and, and share that the end is not the what we think is the end. I mean, when we see a valley of dry bones, when we see wreckage, what do we see? We tend to gravitate towards, well, that's they got what they deserved. Or that's There's, it. Yep. Or God is mad and there and and this is judgment. And it you know, that's just, you know, what it looks like. It it just looks that way that it looked to Ezekiel. Impossibility. There's nothing that can be done. This is the end. This is horrible. But what we believe as Christians, if we kind of narrow it all down, kind of drip it away, drip away all the sides and uh, let the sides fall away and kind of zero in, we believe in a coming together of dry bones. We believe that this muscle and this sinew and uh, the human beings will laugh and sing again. We believe that uh, it happened the way Ezekiel preached it, and we believe that it still happens today. We, we believe that the most significant thing that happens or can happen is that we are no longer dismembered, but we are remembered into that resurrection, into that family of God and that body of Christ. And we need help remembering, don't we? Yes. I mean, that's one of the reasons that Emily and I have this podcast is hopefully in our studies and in our uh, releasing of these episodes, it helps you remember. We need that help in believing. Yeah. We need that. So that we don't forget and say, God, you've forgotten us. You've left us here we don't become obstinate mm-hmm. and we don't get to a place and say, well, this is it. I'm going to throw up my hands. Yeah. We don't get to this place where we say that God is just a legend. Yeah. And that is the, that, that is the undercurrent of the Holy spirit. That reminder that leads us to these places that led Ezekiel to this place and, and allows us to see what God sees and allows us to uh, live into what we could never believe could be a reality. Martin Luther, and I, I guess, um, 
I guess this is the simplicity of what we're talking about here. And certainly it is bigger than what we could ever imagine. And it is a verse in the Bible that he talks about, John 3.16, that's so familiar. But he calls John 3.16, it is the heart of the Bible, and it's the gospel in miniature. It's so simple, he writes, that a child can understand it, and yet it condenses the, the deep and marvelous truths of this gospel message, of this redemption, of what God can do to a valley of dry bones. And he breaks it down this way. God, who is the greatest lover, so loved the greatest degree of love, the world, that greatest number that he gave the greatest act, his only son, the greatest gift, that whosoever the greatest invitation believes the greatest simplicity in him, the greatest person should not perish the greatest deliverance, but the greatest difference have the greatest certainty, everlasting life, the greatest possession. That's the message I need to remind myself of every single day. We can get to a point where we look at God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life and it becomes so rote. Mm -hmm. But slow it down and see the marvelous and deep truths of redemption that are surrounding these 20 or so ordinary words and open yourselves up to the Holy Spirit to teach you, to remind you, to comfort you, and to bring you to this place that Christ is alive. And God is still moving and shaking the world around us. And even in the midst of your darkest moment, your catastrophic valley of dry bones, that there is the Spirit of God reminding us to see and claim something that is so counterintuitive. That's our prayer for you. Thank you for joining us today. And uh, may God continue to remind you that you are his and he is yours. And may he in some special way today through the power of his Holy Spirit take something ordinary in your life today and remind you of his love for you. God bless.